Hello and welcome to Communities Forward. I'm your host, Terrell Carter. Communities Forward seeks to share the stories and experiences of people who are making a positive impact within their communities and neighborhoods, especially in the St. Louis metropolitan area. The Communities Forward podcast is brought to you by RISE Community Development. You can learn more about RISE and how we help make communities and neighborhoods stronger at www.risestl.org, www.risestl.org. Today's podcast is part two of an interview with Nikki Dowdy. Nikki is the Associate Director of Strategic Initiatives at the Institute for School Partnerships at Washington University in St. Louis. And in this position, Ms. Dowdy supports the work of the Institute to develop stronger educators, improve student outcomes, and address educational inequalities in the region. Prior to working at Washington University in St. Louis, Ms. Dowdy was the head of school at City Academy in North St. Louis City. And in this second part of the interview, Nikki discusses the challenges and opportunities related to education in the St. Louis region. I hope that you enjoy it and are informed. So is there a, so I'm going to try to tie this question into some of the other things that you said earlier, but is there a typical profile of a student at City Academy? So, I mean, except for the most uh, sort of the uh, more traditional ways in which we talk about demographics, so we're about 85% students of color. The majority of those students are um, are black. Um, and then we have um, like, they're coming from all over. So we're also split pretty evenly between um, city representation. So folks coming from the city and folks coming from the suburbs. Um, the, we're um, a little over 55% free and reduced lunch. Um, and then um, I wanna say 70%, though I don't wanna be wrong on that, but a little close to 70% of our families make under um, 50,000. Sorry, I think it's 60%, so. Okay. Uh, so so want, thank you. I wanna, you, when you talked about like how you were affected by uh, your educational opportunities, you, you, you talked about access to quality education, an educational system that empowers students uh, and you also talked about a concern about educational inequity. How does a school like City Academy address those things? Again, access to quality education, an educational system that empowers the students and addresses educational inequality. Sure, sure. So one of the ways I think that we do it in like culture and classroom development and um, expectations is that we we employ, we employ responsive classroom. Um, so the nuts and bolts of it is really responsive classroom is about giving children the voice to create the environment that they need to, that they can define that they want to learn in. And we do this starting with our four-year-olds. Um, and it's about building this intrinsic love of learning and also taking ownership and responsibility over one's own self and what they want. So why I love it, especially for our um, community is that in so many spaces, we our voices 
we are not always encouraged to use our voice and we're often looking to some other place to validate. Um, what we do here is we implore upon our, our, to really impress upon our children that your voice is the voice that matters. Um, and so it's, 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 it's about when we start school, you know, back in the day or back and still it happens now, kids come in and the classroom's all done, right? But at City Academy, it doesn't look like that. When kids come in, they build that classroom together with their teachers. So they talk about what are they, what are they hopeful for? What does learning look like? What does it look like when someone, what happens when someone disrupts that learning for you? What might those consequences be? So we work through all of that with the kids and they do that all the way up through sixth grade. So that when you're talking about expectations in the classroom, you're using their language. It's not some language that's coming down from somewhere else. It's that I've said as a four-year-old, for me to learn, I need to make friends. For me to learn, I need to have fun. For me to learn, I need to feel safe or I need to feel good in my environment. So how do I make, how do I help you feel safe? Then they'll tell you, you know, they'll tell you a four-year-old can, you can talk with them and they will tell you what they need in their space to be happy. Um, and so that's one of the ways, it's a huge way actually, it really shifts how children see themselves and they feel like there's ownership in their, um, not just in you know what the classroom looks like, but when there's a misstep, when a kiddo has maybe not made the best choice, when, you net, when you're having that conversation with them, it looks very different after a kiddo has been through responsive classroom for a few years. The other way we do that is through our inquiry-based instruction. So children, when they come in, they're, to, everything is a question asked to them. They're not told what the answer is. They are guided. They are asked to employ other resources. Okay, do you have a friend who can help you get to this answer? Talk me through how you got to this answer. Why did you say this? Like everything's about getting them to think through that process so that they get to the answer. Um, and then the other piece around um, in like this empowerment piece is that um, it's, just, so with responsive classroom, one of the things they tell you is when a student says the, answer, it's the right answer. Oftentimes in classes, the teacher will repeat it. So what's, you know, what's the answer to whatever? And then the child will say something and then the teacher will say, yes, such and such. In responsive classroom, you're taught that the last voice that should be spoken is the voice of the student that responded. Then you move on. Because if that's the right answer, you don't need to be the authority on that. That student made that answer. That's, you've got to keep it moving. Um, and in that, there creates this sort of you're not relinquishing a, a power in the classroom, but you are giving more power to students. So it's not about taking power from the teacher, but it is about giving children this, this, um, this sense of self-worth and ownership in their own space. And what we have found with our alumni, um, when we ask them, so we have a full alumni program, so we work with them seven through 12th. And one of the things we'd ask them about how is the transition in seventh grade, how's eighth grade going? And they'll say, um, it's interesting. Um, I feel so like, I feel very self-confident in being active in the classroom and I, um, don't seem to have the same challenges around like identity or in, um, self-worth that I see some other students having that might have been in the same situation as myself. And for us, that's huge because we know our kiddos are leaving us and going to areas where they're not, they're not going to look like their team. We're very diverse staff. Um, and that's both in faculty and administration. And so they're surrounded by um, diversity and they're going to move into a place where that's not going to be. And we don't want them to doubt their place there or their abilities to be successful there. I think those are the 
biggest waves. Okay. Um, I want to ask you about challenges and opportunities at a school like yours. What are, and I don't want to assume anything, so I'm going to ask the obvious question. What are the challenges and what are the opportunities that, you know, not just the, the, the faculty staff, but the, the children as well, because, you know, the goal, uh, none of this is about you all. It's not about the adults. It's about the kids and developing them. And so what are the challenges and the opportunities? Or it could be, what are the opportunities and challenges? Doesn't matter to me how you answer. Um, the opportunities are, about, like, we have an incredible, we have families that are so wonderfully committed, but a lot of that starts on the front end. Like, there's a lot of love and respect and guidance and support and coaching and empowerment that happens for our JKers. We have a 15-week parent engagement program that's required, and it's two hours a week, and it's for parents. Um, but in that, like, as you, and our teachers are incredible. They've built wonderful relationships. Um, so, and we're this very collaborative collegial environment. So when we face a challenge, it's not like I can't, one, it's not like I'm embarrassed and I got to go it alone. Um, as we know, if we work in silos, it's really difficult to think outside the box or problem solving if you're the only one problem doing the problem solving. But here, like something happens and you will see people like go to their their colleague or somebody else and talk through like what that can look like. Um, and there's also, we are incredibly um, aware of what we aren't also accomplishing. And we ask ourselves every day, how do we make this better? Um, how do we do better? What can we be doing to push the bar higher for ourselves and for our kids. And when you people engage in that conversation and egos are out the door, then you people always looking who are excited to figure out, okay, like what's my next way to get this kiddo to be here? Like what's my next thing, intervention, support? What can I do to, to make this better next year? Not, well, it worked pretty well this year. So I'm going to stick with that. Like that doesn't happen here. The challenge is, the internal challenge for us is that when you have an entire staff of Michael Jordans, you have an entire staff of Michael Jordans. I'm gonna leave that there. Um, I mean, I don't have an entire staff of Aaron Rodgers yet, but I'm, we'll see how that unfolds. Um, that's the internal piece. Um, externally, I think that it's twofold. So externally, one of the things that we have with our families is that, so we get about 300 applications and we have 40 spaces. And so there is this perception that we're this elite institution that only takes, you know, pan cherry, cherry picks kids. And that's just, it's not the case. We have an admissions process that really looks at where kids are coming from. Like our mission is to serve kids coming from under-resourced um, school districts um, and underperforming school districts. And so we are looking for kiddos and families who really could benefit from all of the things that that City Academy can offer. And we would love to have more kiddos. We just don't have that footprint. So we grapple with that often. So we really work with our families who are going through the process to really talk about all the other educational opportunities in the community so that we are we can be a um, you know, an external marketing piece for all of St. Louis and what can happen for families, even if they can't come here. Um, but that's one of our challenges. And the other piece is that um, 
people assume that the reason we find really great success in the classroom and with the kiddos and how they are navigating just physically in this space is because of how we select kids. And that's also just not the case. Um, we truly believe that every child is exceptional and that every child has the capacity and the ability to be their best selves in any space. And we just have to figure out what needs to happen for that to happen. Um, and it's really hard work to do that. And it's really hard work to live in responsive classroom because when a child makes a choice that isn't the best choice, you don't just say, okay, that's an infraction A, so this is your consequence. Like you sit in it with the kid, you ask because they, the choice eight times out of 10 for a kiddo isn't because it's a choice they wanna make. It's a symptom, it's causal. It's something else is happening for them to have made that choice. Children love being around other children and adults. They want to make other people happy. They want to be successful. They know what that feels like and they just want to be doing all the good things. When they're making different choices for that, when it goes against that for them, it's because something else is going on. Our job is to figure out that other thing going on so we can solve for that. We can mitigate the causal factor, the symptom, you know? That just takes a lot of work. It's much easier to say, okay, this is an infraction B, you need to go sit and time out. Or this is an infraction C, you need to go to the front office. Like these are not things that happen. So that, so I'm, I have a couple of questions, but I wanna, that whole line of thinking that you just explored is really interesting because, um, so I'm, I, I am in higher education still, I, I was one of those kids who was regularly sent to the office on top of everything else. So I have a twin brother and we were the yin and yang. Of, uh, he was the good student who stayed out of trouble. I was the not so good student who had infraction Z, X, Y, you know, all those. Um, how do we change that mindset that, and, and let's both be honest, this in particular happens to students of color, to children of oh. color. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to go to data, but we can go to data and it shows that it's it's just a great disparity. I mean, um, early childhood, it's that's why they call it this, you know, the um the school. Of prison. Right? Like this is how we treat our children. How do, we, how do we begin to change that mindset? It's so One, okay, first, let me just say, I understand that how difficult it is because it has to be, it has to be a universal mind shift in an entire school. A third grade teacher can't say they're going to do responsive classroom and then have it be successful when everybody else isn't brought in because it is a, it is a, it is an entire organizational cultural belief system. Um, but it also is in everything we do. When we sat down for this, and Don did it when he first built the first building. When we sat down with the architect and the designers, we said there will be no lines on the carpet. There will be no lines on the linoleum. Like we, this is not something that's institutional. We went and visited schools. I couldn't tell you how many schools I saw with these stripes going down the center, cinder blocks everywhere, this like pale colors. And you want children to behave a certain way, then build a space that le leads them into that kind of behavior. Do you want children to feel light and happiness and um, like the whole of the place is their freedom? Then build things that have um, abstract shapes and lots of colors and 
um, things that are movable and malleable. Like that is what kids deserve. So when you come into City Academy, you'll see like it's very bright. Um, you'll see four-year-olds just walking on their own from one classroom to the next. You're asking children to learn how to read. They can, they will know how to get to the bathroom. You don't need to tell them to walk. And you know, we did Milton, who was our principal before. Um, we would joke all the time because sometimes kids would be skipping through the hallway and we don't let you run, but I was like, I'll never stop a skip. You <laughs> skipping down the hallway and that is a problem. I mean, skipping is the happiest form of movement. If I have kids skipping down the hallway, like keep at it. I love it. That you is like what, your job then. yes, you know, um, and if they're older, they're skipping. I for sure am not stopping that. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, like, okay. about that. like it's about how you're building out like the space the physical space um where things are located how they're positioned um you know one of the things that we had to really grapple with is their safety security right and you want to make sure that especially with this increased violence around um, school shootings like how do you keep kids protected and we have a very open campus internally um so what we decided was we were going to create extra bar quick barriers to these learning spaces, but that, you know, our space is very like the kids, there's so much light that comes in. We have lots of natural windows. Um, so we've set the campus far from the street. We have the entire campus is locked down. We have cameras everywhere. Like we felt like spending more money on that so that we could create a space where kids could be, there's a natural progression from the inside of the classroom into the outdoor learning space and they could see that and use it was more important. So we had to figure out how to make that possible instead of creating all of these barriers and security measures that make children feel like they are in an institution. It's that, it's about buy-in. We also, here's the single, like not the single greatest piece, but the one of the biggest pieces is that we're private. So it's not that we handpick, but the one thing that does give us a lot of flexibility is when something's not working, we can toss it. We don't have to run it through somebody. We don't have to go through um, another board or um, you know a superintendent or follow um, um, common you know uh, common core. Mm -hmm. If something's not working for a class then we say, you know what, we should like, let's think of, let's retool how we're teaching this, this, bo this book, this novel, let's retool how we're approaching um, this math uh, unit. We can do that. And no one, we don't have to clear it with anyone. And so we're allowed to really pivot quickly to meet the needs of the kids. We can be very, very responsive and reflective in ways that, you know, public and some charters can't be. Thank you. Um, so we have a few minutes left and I want to uh, kind of transition. You are going to be transitioning away from City Academy by the time that this podcast airs. You will no longer be there. That's going to be very unfortunate, but it's going to be a wonderful opportunity for you and uh, your continued journey in education. Where will you be going to? What will you be doing? Um, so I am going to be the Associate Director of Strategic Initiatives for um, the Institute for School Partnership at WashU, um, which is a handful. <laughs> Currently, um, Washington University is going through um, a massive strategic plan. It's called um, In St. Louis, For St. Louis, and they are looking at 
how to support the region. Um, you know, how can we encourage uh, smart and um, responsible development? How can we really empower our schools um, and support our schools? And as the university talks about its footprint um, and its responsibility to ensuring um, that there is um, exceptional um, access or access to exceptional education, what does that look like and how do we do it? And so my role would be to support the initiatives that come out of that strategic plan. So in a, uh, you haven't started the job, so I'm not going to ask you, I can't ask you like, what do you, but what are your hopes for the educational realm in St. Louis? What would be, you know, five years from now, you go back to City Academy or five years from now, you have moved away from this gym, this jewel that is St. Louis for something else. We are all hoping that that does not happen, but you get- You try to kick me out. No, so again, we're hoping that does not happen. But five years from now, how do you hope how can you imagine the landscape of education changing in St. Louis for the positive? So I'm not, it's not that I don't want to be lofty, but changing what has been 60 years in the making is, and longer is, um, it's a, it's a long haul, right? I think what success looks like is a truly collaborative space where agencies, organizations um, are moving in tandem to support our children, um, early childhood on through high school. And we have brilliant agencies and organizations doing great work. And, um, but some of that work is siloed. And what we could be doing together as a region when we collaborate and bring those resources together, and it's happening in spaces already. Um, I think WashU and ISP um, are really hopeful for the work that we can be doing to help also support and move, um, really move this conversation around educational equity um, along. And I think it'll look like, it'll look like that where people in St. Louis will say, oh, this is the work that's happening and they can see it and it's measurable. Um, and that the children are the ones benefiting, right? That we see really great growth in, um, in outcomes. This is your host, Terrell Carter. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of Communities Forward. Please check back again next week, and we will have an interview with Sal Martinez, the Executive Director of Employment Connection of St. Louis. Hope that you have a good rest of your week.